2 Corinthians chapter 6, 14 through chapter 7, verse 1. Let us pray and read the word of the Lord. Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy. And Father, may we have the mind of Christ. May you help us walk worthy. May you give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts wide open to the eternal truths of your word. Father, help us. Help us rest in these assurances that the Apostle Paul has given. And Father, may we be ministers in the power and the mercy of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. To your praise and your glory. Amen. Verse 14, chapter 6. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said. I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean. and I will welcome you. I will be a father to you and you be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. The Apostle Paul is giving us five reasons that we should separate from false religions. Okay, now, I have heard this text brutalized on what we want to use it for. Okay, this text has absolutely nothing to do with your marriage, has nothing to do with where you work, it has nothing to do with your social or economical position. It has to do with false religions. Okay, please understand that. Do not be a part of it. And you know what? There's many in the body of Christ right now who are trying. Who are trying. I got in trouble this week meeting with the pastors of Kassarok because I brought up the fact that I could not be a part of anything with Roman Catholics. And you would have swore that I, I don't know what. I, I hate to break the news to you. I have nothing in common with the Roman Catholics in any stretch of the imagination. They have a different gospel. Do you not understand that? Do you understand? It hasn't changed. Well, you can't say that. It's not said enough. That's the problem. Okay, and I, and I listen to this over and over. I listen to experts try to tell me, theological experts who said that Jehovah and Christ and Allah are the same. And I'm sitting there going, you know what? The Muslims don't even believe that. What is the matter with you people? And of course, I am divisive. I, I'm uncompromising. You must be like ultra conservative. And, and I <laughs> just... I just smile at him with my gentleness and say, have you not read? <laughs> the Apostle Paul is telling us, do not be bound with unbelievers. Okay, Do not be unequally yoked, some of your translations may say, with unbelievers. And he gives us five reasons. One, it's just flat out senseless. It's, there's no logic in it. I mean, he goes right through it. What partnership is righteousness and lawlessness? What fellowship is light and dark? What harmony is Christ and Satan? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? I, I, dude, you don't have to be a theologian to say, well, uh, 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 I, I don't think anything. Yeah, there you go. Okay, because he's making a comment and he's going back to Leviticus where he says, you know what? You don't try to plow a field with a donkey and an ox. You can't cut a straight line. And I watch us over and over and over try to compromise this. And, well, I don't want to be offensive because, you know, maybe we can come to a common ground. And then we have, hey, 
What if I can win them to Christ? Listen, if they're enmeshed into a, a false religious system, give it up. Give it up. It's, it's like I tell people, when the Mormons or the JWs come to your door, the average Christian should just run them off. Okay? Because that guy that shows up at your door is not an amateur. They train them for years before they go do that. And if you don't know what the book says and you can stand on it, send them away. Now, I like to invite them in. Because I tell them that I have some questions. And they think they've got a dandy. <laughs> and I've never asked, I've never understood why. Well, what do you do for a living, sir? <laughs> Read the Bible. <laughs> So, it, you know, now I'm not, but I'm, I'm not trying to say I'm better than you. I just read my Bible a lot. You know, I, I can honestly tell you, I don't know how many times I've read it from cover to cover. Okay. I know a lot of Christians who's never read their Bible from cover to cover. Okay. But, but I read it. The other thing is I'm convinced of it. I've spent 20 years trying to find error in it. I know it doesn't sound that spiritual, does it? But I tried to. Let me find something that contradicts it. Okay. I've got some pages out of a 1534 Bible that is identical to my 1978 New American Standard. That ain't luck, people. I mean, it's verbatim. But I'm not going to go to the Jehovah's Witness temple and let's celebrate church together. I ain't going. Why? Because it is senseless. I must be separate. It is also idolatrous. Verse 16. What agreement is the temple of God with idols? You understand that other than the relationship with Jesus Christ, it's a dumb mute stone that is driven in the back seat by a demon. Well, that don't sound very loving. Well, that's what it is. I don't care what you call it. I don't care how morally upright it seems. It's driven by a demon. It's demonic teaching. And that has what in common with the temple of the living God? Nothing. Absolutely nothing in common. So why would you want to try to partner them? You believe you can cut a straighter line? That's what the Apostle Paul is telling us. It is rebellious, first part of 17. Come out from their midst and be separate. Okay, why? That's what he said. He said it in the Old Testament, Leviticus. If you go look at Leviticus 20, 21, or 22, that's all he says. Get out, get out, get out, get out. You don't want no part of this. Why? You can't handle it. We looked at King Solomon. We looked at King David. We looked at Ezekiel. We looked at the priesthood. Anytime you expose yourself as a Christian to the false, you will fall. If King Solomon couldn't stand up, I'm sure you're more wise than he is and you can. There's a track record there that says you can't mix this. You have no ability. Have you ever thought about it? Here, I think I'm going to go hang out with demonic teaching and see if I can overpower it. Well, that falls into pride comes before the fall. It's, it's rebellious against what God has called us to. Verses 17 and 18 says that it is of no benefit. Why? He wants to open his arm. That word welcome you see there in the end of verse 17. God wants to open his arms to you. Okay, he wants to be your father. He wants you to be his child. What benefit does it go? Do you have if God wants to embrace you? To go hang out with a demon. What's that benefit going to be? You're going to cut that off. And then you're going to step into God's chastening. That's always a pleasant place. But I want to look at this last one. Chapter 7, verse 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness and the fear of God. 
Okay? If I do not separate, I'm ungrateful. I'm thankless. Because if you look at it here, look what he says. Therefore, having these promises, because of God's promises, because of what I have said. That's why uh, the authors of the scriptures miss this chapter break, don't fly. Therefore, refers back to the end of chapter 6. Because of these promises, having these promises... There's no longer an appeal by the commands. They were commands in 14 through 18. Now he's appealing to the promises of God. Okay, verse 14. Do not be bound. It's non-negotiable. You can't have a close relationship. No, it's non-negotiable. Verse 17. Come out from their midst. He's not saying, you know... Can we sit down and discuss this and perhaps we can negotiate? No, he's saying, don't do it. We are to obey because we don't want God's chastening. But now he moves from the command side to, I I guess I would call it love and gratitude. We should be overwhelmed by his generosity. You know, I've talked to Christians before who have been going through things. And uh, it's why my counseling business is so massive. And I said, if God never gave you anything but eternal life, what are you bellyaching about? I mean, if all I get is eternal life, really? But we get into this that we don't appreciate the generosity of you have salvation. And it was nothing that you did. We should be overwhelmed by the privilege that he is Abba Father. He wants to embrace us. We should be overwhelmed by his mercy. We are the temple of the living God. God will welcome us. He opens that word welcome, opens his arms to embrace. We have these promises. We will dwell with him. He will walk with us. He will be our God. We will be his possession. He embraces us as a father would a child. This is the true and living God. In verses 16 through 18, there are seven statements there that are speaking of the promises of God. I will dwell with them. I will walk among them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Come out from their midst. Do not touch what is unclean. I will welcome you. I will be a father to you. You shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises... It's it's an appeal from God's goodness and mercy. How do we do less than cleanse ourselves from defilement? Because if I do less than cleanse myself from defilement, then I'm not thankful for what these promises he's already given me. Let me show you this a few other times. Chapter 12 of Romans same thing therefore I urge you brethren by the mercies of God what are the mercies of God it's the 11 chapters of your salvation what by these mercies are you asking present your bodies a living and what holy you know what another phrase for holy is Separate. Sacrifice. Acceptable to God. Which is your spiritual service of worship? (laughs) This is the verse that I give people when they call and ask me. What kind of worship service do you have? Living, holy, sacrificial, acceptable to God is what we have. What? 
Well, I was more looking for contemporary or traditional. <laughs> I don't know where that's at in the Bible. That's why we grow so fast. Why? Because he says, do not be conformed to this world. That word conformed there means to be pressed into the mold. Don't be pressed into the mold. Do not be conformed to this world. You should be able to spot a Christian. They don't fit the mold. That, that ought to be obvious. They say, well, that just looks different. Absolutely. How do I do that, Paul? Thought you would never ask. By renewing your mind. You know what that means, right? Get the old clutter out, put in new stuff. Why? Then you start understanding. I shared this morning in Sunday school, Mueller. I've been reading some stuff about Mueller and, and what he went through. And he was a man of prayer. I mean, just amazing man of prayer. He set up the orphanages that are in England, and he did it in the 1800s. And he did it without any federal government backing, grants or anything like that. He prayed. He prayed. In the mid-1800s, they said that he was controlling between $1 and $2 million a year. Do you know how much money that is for the 1800s? And it was all donations. He never ran around and did benefit concerts. He prayed. That's all he did was pray. I cannot tell you how many times I read where he was sitting in the orphanage with all of these children trying to get ready for dinner and they had nothing in the building to eat. And he would tell the kids, bow your head and let's give thanks for what God is about to provide. And he would finish his prayer and... And the baker had all of this extra that he would just show up with or the butcher would show up with and God would provide at that instant. Now, I got to ask you a silly question. What's the difference between Mueller and you today? You, each and every one of us, fight to be not conformed into the world. But we look at ministry today and how do we do it? By the world standard. I got people ask me, he says, well, Terry, are you Slavic? Uh, no. Why do you guys do so much in Russia? Because they want the book. Well, but I mean, you're not Slavic? No. Actually, I'm hillbilly and Scottish. And I don't even know what that means. <laughs> I think I'm not supposed to like Slavics, am I? <laughs> but he said, I'm trying to get at why? I want the book. Why are you doing what you're doing over by the Taliban out of India? I'm not Indian either. Did you know that? <laughs> Just in case. You're, well, you don't look Hindu. But anyway. Why? Because they want the book. Why are we doing what we're doing in Myanmar? Because they want the book. Give them the book. Why? That renews their minds so they're not pressed into the mold. You know, when I read the word, when I think about this, by the mercies of God, mercy means you don't deserve it. You understand that? It's like grace. It's, it's like the other side of the coin. You got grace on one side and mercy on the other side. On the basis of these things, be separate from the world. On the basis of what? Well, let's see. I could start with God's sovereign love for you. I could go with the gospel call. I could go with the doctrine of justification. I could go with the doctrine of sanctification or glorification or the giving of the Holy Spirit or the fact that in these 11 chapters, he, we are now joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We walk in the newness of life. Anything else you want to land in mercy? And if you don't, you're ungrateful. You're thankless. On the basis of this, live a separate life. Peter has the same kind of mindset. Second Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. 
Well, let's pick up two because two kind of gives you grace of peace be multiplied to you. Anybody want that? Grace of peace be multiplied. Okay, not added to. It's multiplied. How do you multiply grace and peace? In the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. But here's what he says. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Wow. Did, did you get that little bit of phrase in there? He, his divine power has given to Christians everything they need for life and godliness. That's pretty good, don't you think? Temporal and eternals. I get them all. That's not so bad. Wow. All right. Now, it does come in the true knowledge. For by these, he's granted to us his precious, magnificent promises. Got that? There's that promise thing again. So that by them, you have become partakers of what? I didn't write that. He did. Because of what he's done, and you are now been given everything you need for life and godliness, you now are partakers of what? The divine nature. And you can tell it because you have escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. You've escaped. And the true knowledge of God the Father and Lord Jesus our Savior. And I am now a partaker of the divine nature. Why? Go back to Romans. I renew my mind so I'm not pressed into the mold of this world. Why? The mold of this world is pushed by one thing, one thing only. What is it? Lust. The word epithumia, that's lust, is, is a simple word. It just means an overdriving passion. I mean, in its context is whether it's sin or not. But you can have a lust for his word. I have an overdriving passion for his word. There's nothing wrong with that. But the world pushes the perversion of it. Remember, you've escaped the what? The corruption of the world that is by lust. That's fascinating. Don't you think it's fascinating? You are now partakers of the divine nature and you have escaped, past tense, the corruption that is pushed by lust. And it comes through God, through the true knowledge of Jesus Christ. True knowledge, not speculation. You know, how many of you have read in the Bible, God helps those who help themselves? You'll read for a long time and realize that ain't in there. Okay, that was written by the great prophet Franklin. Ben. His Bible was smaller. But it's published every year. They call it the Almanac. See, these are the things that, you know, I listen to people. And, you know, how many wise men were there? All of them. I don't know. You know, I don't. I, as I look around the world right now, none. <laughs> Still looking for one. I don't know. I don't know. I listen to people who get caught up into sacraments. I just had a discussion this week with a guy and he said, well, what are you doing for, for Lent? And I says, I'm picking it out. <laughs> and he says, well, don't you do anything for Ash Wednesday? I said, give up smoking years ago. I don't know. What about you? These, I said, listen, Hebrews says I live in the truth. I don't live in the shadows. I don't live in the types. I don't live in the pictures. I live in the real. I don't need that. I want the real thing. I don't want the shadows. I want what is causing the shadow. 
We are given promises of the gospel. We are made partakers of the divine nature. And you know what? This causes us to escape the corruption that is the world. Verse 5, for this reason, also apply with all diligence. Did you get that? You need to work at it. You apply with all diligence. Listen, I've known a lot of you for a, a lot of times, and I know things that you apply with all diligence. Okay, a bunch of you guys are here. Remember when we got this building and we gutted it and said we got 120 days to make it, you know, not so dusty. Right. And I watched a whole bunch of people with a whole bunch of diligence bust their tails, work their jobs, come in at night. We had to used to set up great big old huge halogen lights that did you know that they will raise the temperature in the room by 60 degrees? And you're like, why do I feel like I'm in a sauna? But anyway, you know, we've been saved from hell. Why do I feel like I'm in it? But we worked and we worked and we worked and I watched everybody get after it. And we got it done. We got it done. That's the diligence that Peter is telling us. Work with diligence on this. For this reason. Diligence. You have received these promises. How can you do less than respond in obedience? All diligence in your faith supply moral excellence and in your moral excellent knowledge and in your knowledge self-control and in your self-control perseverance and your perseverance godliness and your godliness brotherly kindness and your brotherly kindness love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. People are not in the ministry because right now they are useless. Why? What are they putting their diligence in? They are negating the promises of God. They are thankless for what he has done. And their ministries are flat out ineffective. They've got nothing. Go back to your text in Corinthians. Because I want to show you some other things. 7.1 For having these promises, and then he makes this statement, Beloved. Okay, he uses it twice in 1 Corinthians, he uses it twice in 2 Corinthians. And what he's saying here is that the affections of God and the promises of God have a limit. Okay? And they are limited to his Beloved. Those who are beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. Let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement. If I'm thankful, how can we do less? If I've been given such great, amazing mercy in these promises, I can only be thankful. Okay, now... I want to give you a little footnote on this right now because if you've got kids, if you've ever had kids, one of the toughest things to teach your children, maybe it was just mine, is have them be thankful. Right? Have you ever tried to teach them just to say thank you, but you could tell they weren't? (laughs) You're, you're see, anybody got kids like that? <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I don't think you mean it. I do. <laughs> sure you do. <laughs> but you have to teach it. You have to teach gratitude. That's important. Very important. Because you know what I've learned reading the Bible? God hates ingratitude. Okay, now now I'm not talking about he dislikes it or it makes him uncomfortable. Okay, he hates it. Well, that sounds strong words from God. Really? Romans 1.21 
Even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations and their foolish hearts were darkened. That's God's wrath and judgments against unbelievable because of ingratitude. I think he hates it. What do you think? They're not thankful. That's judgment of unbelievers in this context. It offends God. Now, I'm going to ask you a simple question. If God's wrath is poured out on ungratitude of the unbeliever, how much more of a believer? He has given freely all things, life and godliness, partakers of the new new nature, renewing ourselves, renewing our minds, right? He has given us all of these things. An ungrateful Christian? Really? Colossians chapter 2. I want to show you something. Beginning at verse 6. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, walk in him. All right. Having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. You know how you can spot a Christian? They're thankful for everything. They are thankful for everything. I mean, even things that you don't want to be thankful for. Yeah, well, God's got it. I'm thankful. Overflowing with it. Now, go back to your text in Corinthians. That's just a little footnote. I thought, you know what? There's times that we just look at thankfulness as, well, you know, it's that holiday that my birthday falls on every four years. (laughs) Look what he says. Let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement. Okay, basically what you have now in these two transitions, you have uh, in these two phrases, you have a positive and a negative. Okay. He says, let us cleanse ourselves. In the Greek terminology, this is a this verb is reflective. Okay. Wow, I'm glad I know that now. Okay. What that means is we have to do it. Okay. Now I know if you're hardcore Calvinist, you're like, wait a minute. Well, translate it some other way then. It says, we have to do it. Sure, the cleansing work is God's work. Absolutely. But it's not apart from us. Remember, he has put us, me and you, if you're saved today, in the ministry. Because you are in the ministry, there are certain things that you need to do. And one of it is to cleanse yourself from defilement. Remember in chapter 2 of Philippians, work out your own salvation. But it is God's work who is in you. Okay, it's like if you've had kids, it's the best way I can describe it. See, I was not raised in the church, so I, I don't, I have to kind of go from where I came to salvation. When it came to my kids, my kids had to listen to me preach day in and day out and over and over and over again. So technically, my kids are not theologically stupid. Okay? But what I've watched as they grew is they didn't have no faith in it. Their response to me is similar to people that I deal with who are lost is, well, you have to believe that. That's what you do for a living. Okay, now, my kids had to go through certain traumatic things that they had to say, do you trust God or are you going to do this? And God says, yes, I am speaking to you. Okay, now as a parent, you don't want to see your kids suffer, but I don't want to see them lost either. 
And there comes a point as a parent, you say, Father, you love them more than I could ever. Do whatever you got to do. Okay, now when you cross that bridge, hold on. Okay, because he says, all right. Because I know what it took to get me saved. And so... (laughs) I know part of the gene pool my children are in. <laughs> and it's, 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 it's no benefit whatsoever. <laughs> but I, when I look at that, I sit there and I say, but we work out our salvation. Why? God's doing it. We give them truth. But the consequences is not in our hands. Because at some point in time, God's going to say, I'm going to get your undivided attention. He's calling for a response. And when he calls for a response, then you and I act. Okay? And you know what? There are many in the body of Christ right now who avoid gratitude. Okay, this word that you see here, I know, I know you've seen it a couple other times, but this word here that you see from all defilement, okay, key there is all. Okay, if you translate that back from the Greek, you know what it translates as? All. Okay, and defilement here, it's the only time this Greek word is used in the New Testament. Okay, it's used three other times, I think, in the Septuagint, which is the Greek Old Testament. Okay, what is amazing about the four times this word is used in Scripture? It always, always, always is used in reference to religious defilement. Okay, so when people say, well, this text is dealing with false religions. Don't be a part of it. Don't be unequally yoked. Separate from what? All religious defilement. Okay, he's not talking about defilement here. A lot of times you see the word defilement in the New Testament. It's it's speaking of immorality or cheating or murder or lying and things like that. That is not the word that's used here. It's always spoke of as idols or idol feasts or the temple prostitutes or whatever the false system is. Cleanse yourself from these religious defilements. Cleanse yourself. Be away from it. Be separate. You can't have this unholy alliance. You can't be a part of false religious error. Okay, now look what he says. From all this religious defilement, but look what he says. Of the flesh and the spirit. No definite article, so it's a small spirit, speaking of the human spirit, and of the flesh. Okay? Technically, I could look at that in a real quick, brief setting and say, well, that just means completely. Completely from all. Okay, you can say, well, it's just inward and outward. All right. False teaching and false religion can defile the flesh. All right, please understand that. Um, False teaching always moves on the human appetite. I don't mean we're hungry. I'm talking about our flesh nature. Okay? False religion. I don't care what it is. I don't care what name you hang on it. It's a dealing with the flesh. What are you appealing to? (laughs) False always entertains the flesh. Okay? If it's entertaining the flesh, then it's so easy, so simple for it to defile the body. Okay? But here's another thing that sticks out there. What happens if you come to Christ and now you have... These parents, you might have in-laws, and they attend this false religious system. You want to keep peace in the family, especially if like it's the in-laws. Okay, you want to keep peace with them, right? Love, peace, and tranquility. Well, let's say we're going to go up to the temple there. and You know, I know this is wrong. I got my morals is going to hang in there. You know, I know I'm I'm not stupid enough to say, you know, I'm going to hang out with the prostitutes. I'll stay away from the drunken thing and all the rest of it. But I'll be there because the family's there and this is how they're worshiping. And I want to, you know, it'll be all right. I can restrain my flesh so I don't take part in some of this really nasty stuff. And you know what? The family will all be happy. 
But he says it defiles the spirit too. See, it reaches into your mind. And it defiles your understanding. Let me show you something. We'll deal with it in depth when we come. Chapter 10 of First Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians, verse 3. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Our weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they are divinely power, powerful for destruction of fortresses. Okay, do you understand what he just said there? That's war, people. When you try to destroy a fortress, it isn't because you had a, a summer break and decided to go do something. Okay, but I want to show you what the fortress is. We are destroying speculation and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That's the defilement of the spirit he's talking about. You've got to stay away from it. That's the game that's out there right now. That's why I can have Protestant pastors say, how can I be so offensive that I don't want to be a part of the Catholics? Wait a minute. What have you bought into? I watched a board on a talk show explain that science has now proven that it's evolution. And they were all theologians. And I'm sitting there going, what? Where did science prove that? Can you show me that? And you can't. It defiles the mind. The spirit, when you expose yourself to the false on a consistent basis, you can't handle it. I know you can't. No one in scripture has been able to handle it. Except for Jesus. See, a Christian might be able to avoid the flesh. The action of sin. What Paul is saying here. Why would you expose your thinking process to satanic lies? I remember going down, uh, it's been a few years ago. Uh, what's the college that's in Gunnison? What, whatever, whatever the college is in Gunnison. I was going down, I thought I was going down for a college uh, Bible study, college kids Bible study. And all of a sudden I got thrown into this debate thing. Um, to this day I don't like them people. But... Um, uh, they had these professors and they all wanted to debate the preacher in his Bible over evolution and creation. And I was like, how did I get sucked into this? Okay. Um, so I walk out there and I'm like, well, this ought to be good. And there's three of them. It's three against one. Jeez. I thought I was going to be doing a Bible study. You know, people who want to hear what I said. So I rethought it. I went through and used science to defeat them. Made them mad. Why? You're not quoting scripture. No, it's the second law of thermodynamics. You smarties come up with it. I didn't come up with it. You said it was a law. Which means it's non-negotiable. It's not a theory, right? Yeah, all right. Your law says if I expel energy, I have a decline in matter. How's evolution working that? I just question. I didn't tell him I used to be an electrician, and every time I get too much energy, I get a decline in wire. <laughs> pretty impressive. What's really cool about electricity, it does it at the speed of light. <laughs> You're like, well, did you see that? <laughs> no, I didn't. Well, we know that it happened. I watched a guy take a screwdriver about that long and turn it into a pick. And he just, boom. You're like, wow. <laughs> Glad that wasn't my screwdriver. But that's the laws of thermodynamics. The second law. It's a law, people. It's not a... Well, I don't know. I asked him. If I, I go to a normal junkyard right now. Any junkyard in America right now. Everything in there to build a 747 is in that junkyard. Everything. Every piece is in there. How many times do I have to blow it up before I get an airplane? It's just a question. Okay, and so I think that annoyed them, and they haven't asked me back, and I left town quickly. Why? You might be able to get your body to escape, okay, but your mind can be polluted. Your mind can be stained. Cleanse yourself from that. 
Okay, that's the negative side of it. Okay, let's look at the positive side of it. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Epitaleto. Finished. And he means like really finished. Okay. It's not just start, but complete. Okay. Pursue the end of holiness. Okay. Holiness. Separate from the world. Pursue it. Why? Reverence of God. Some of your translations may say fear of God. Holiness, separation from that that defiles your body and your mind. What you Listen, I love you guys. Okay? But it is obvious in some of your lives what you're pursuing. Okay? And I'll just ask you a simple question. What are you pursuing? Is it the holiness of Christ? Are you striving to perfect holiness? Bring it to its conclusion. Do I pursue the upward calling of Christ's likeness? Romans chapter 8 says this is the reason you were saved. You were predestined to be conformed into His image. That's the reason of your salvation. 1 John chapter 3. Someday you will be like Him. 1 Corinthians 13. You shall know as you are known. What are you pursuing right now? Is our pursuit His holiness? Is our pursuit Christ's likeness? Why? It's the fear of God. The fear of God is the beginning of salvation. And that, listen, this doesn't mean that I'm afraid. It's not that I'm afraid of God. Um, I, I look at it more as I adore God. I respect God. I honor God. I know that He is holy. And I need to be holy. We need to be a holy people. It's like I shared with you, Leviticus 20 through 20, 22 chapters. It's what it is. I am their God. You are my people. Separate. If you identify with God, you identify with His holiness. If you respect and honor and love God, then what will you be diligently seeking, pursuing? Matthew chapter 5, verse 18. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. The truth of God is seen in the person of Christ. It was laid out for us in Leviticus 20 through 22. And they will be my people. It's a, it's, it's a respect for God. You know what? When that happens, when there's true respect for God, when there's true fear of God, there's true honor and love for God, you know what happens? Every single time, you have true worship. Every single time. You know what? It doesn't matter who's playing the piano. It doesn't matter whether it's a chorus. It doesn't matter whether it's a hymn or anything like that. All of a sudden, true worship works that well, breaks forth because, wow, God. That brings true worship. But you'll be thankless if you're disobedient. But if you're thankful for His grace, then you'll have a reverence for Him. Okay, now then I want to share with you, this is extraordinarily important. This letter, 2 Corinthians, is dealing with ministry. Okay, servants. Paul told us in chapter 5, we are ambassadors of Christ. Okay, but what he's saying here is, there's certain times you've got to take a stand. Certain times you're going to have to take a stand. Okay, it won't be popular. You'll be divisive. A legalist. A Pharisee. Oh, jeez. Uh, anyway, I've been called everything from a Pharisee to the Antichrist. Perfect. But it's serious. If you want to be effective in your ministry, you have to be separate. And you have to take a stand that separates. Take the stand. Remember Daniel and his three buddies? They took the stand... Threw three of them in the fiery furnace and the little thing with the kitty cats. All right? But God's still faithful.
Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your precious bride, your church. Father, as even as Peter said, in the true knowledge of Jesus Christ, may that be our passion. May that be the thing that motivates us. May that be the thing that we pursue. May that be the thing that overwhelms us. And Father, as we continue to press on to the upward calling of Christ, let us understand there will be tribulation in this world, in our lives. And yet, Father, we walk to the glory of the risen King. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for my brother in Myanmar and his wife and those that he labors with in the hill country. And Father, I just pray. I pray that peace that surpasses understanding will guard his heart and mind in Christ, knowing that he has done what is right before a holy God. Father, I pray for us. May we have the wherewithal to do the same. I praise you, Lord. I thank you. In Christ's name, amen.